I have to deal with a lot of, you know, silly stereotypes that the women can do this kind of work, you know, surgery, facial surgery. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Rhinoplasty Podcast with me, Dr. Cameron McIntosh. We are in the month of April with the leading ladies around the world, brought to you by Pentax Loops. Now, if you listen to the end of the podcast, I'm going to be able to give you the person to contact for Pentax Loops. These are game changers. You know, normal loops, you're looking straight down, damaging your neck, small field of view. Pentax Loops have changed the game. They've got a wild, wide field of view and you can look straight ahead whilst this prism loop allows you to look down on the patient. So I'm a firm believer in getting Pentax Loops. So let's just crack on now. So our guest for today, I'm very excited all the way from South America and Ecuador, um, uh, the president of the Ecuadorian Rhinology and Facial Plastic Society, Mariana Vasquez. Welcome to the show. Hello, Cameroon. How are you? How are you doing today? Hey, Mariana, I'm doing great. Eh? I've had a lovely weekend of recording all the leading ladies. Um, and uh, it's a Sunday night, so end of the week for me. And it's nice to have a cherry on the top of the cake by interviewing you. You know, Cam, this is the first time that I'm going to share part of my personal life, you know, and I am so pleased to do this, you know, very good, very original idea. Well, Mariana, thanks, man. It's for, you know, a lot of the speakers, the influential speakers who are around the world and they're, they're all on the show, we used to hearing um, these great talks, but we, we want to kind of get into who are these people? What makes them tick? How did they end up doing what they're doing? So I appreciate your vulnerability in that. And also just appreciate the fact that you can take time off on a Sunday from your family to come and talk to me. So tell me a little bit more about yourself. Okay. How can I describe myself? I can consider myself a very active person who really likes to enjoy life, who likes to learn everything every day, who never stays behind who likes to be surrounded by family and true friends, who is uh, very passionate about her work, very well organized, and it spends the best always in her field, the, the rhinoplasty surgery. Well, that's great. But now, how do you balance that? How, how do you become the president of a na in the National Society? Um, you speak on many webinars, and yet you married twin 18-year-old daughters. How did you mar manage to marry all of that together? I think it's because I, when you really feel passion for what you do, you really find the proper time, you know, for each thing of your life. For me, it's very important, my work, but also very, very important, my family, my kids, my husband. I think the, the, the part that really bounds to, to, to us and to, to deal with this is because we are involved in the medicine field. You know, my husband is a plastic surgeon. I am a, 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 an otolaryngologist and a facial surgeon. So my kids are studying medicine. I come from a family where all my brothers, five brothers are doctors. My father is a doctor. So this is my life. Medicine is my passion and my love. That's why. That's amazing. Okay. So, but now tell me, it, it, I, I'd be interested because we've, we've interviewed ladies from different parts of the world and some of them have had some tough times as a woman in facial plastic surgery. What's your experience been like as a woman in facial plastic surgery? Okay. I think this is a really 
tricky question. You know why? Because I belong to that era where uh, 30 years ago, I started in this uh, career in medicine. I mean, studying medicine. And at that time, I made up my mind. I want to be a, a, a plastic surgeon. But in the way, I met my husband, who is 10 years older than me. So I decided at that time, okay, I don't want to have any competition with my husband. Because at that time, it was really hard to be a woman and to be a surgeon. So especially if you're going to live with a plastic surgeon. So at that moment, I said to myself, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick a career, but we can share certain things, but we can't hit, generate any competition. So I decided to study otolaryngology. And after that, when I finished otolaryngology, I said, okay, this is not enough. I really wanna have a fellowship. So I decide I have to go to Barcelona, Spain, and I had one year of fellowship with uh, ear surgery with Dr. Garcia Ibanez in Barcelona. So after that, you know what? I came to Ecuador again and I said, okay, I'm gonna pick a different, a different way, you know, different to my husband. And then I start doing ear surgery, but it didn't feel me. It didn't feel me the way I felt when I decided to do, you know, plastic surgery. So I said, okay, I'm gonna try some rhinoplastic work with my patients and gonna, I'm gonna see what is gonna happen. And then my patients, you know, start liking me, liking me uh, uh, as a doctor who does a good work in nose surgery. So I said, okay, what, I go, what, what am I gonna deal with my husband in not generating any, any competition with him? So I said, okay, I'm going to have a backup. I need a title, a title that makes me very confident about this field. So I decided to do the homologation with Dr. Fernando Pedrosa in Colombia. So I went to Colombia and that's why I have a title as a facial plastic surgeon. And after that, my life changed totally, totally, totally. So now I can feel very confident about my work I am improving my results. Maybe it's because of the self-esteem that you can gain through the years. And I have a good backup. I have a title that encouraged me to do this work. And I really love my work, what I do now. That is really inspiring. So now tell me, so your husband, is he more body plastic and then you the facial plastics? Yes, that's why. He's a plastic surgeon. You know, he does corporal surgeries, also facial surgeries. When he has his patients, I help him. When I have my patient, he helped me. And, you know, now now I, I can say that it was a hard way. I can't tell you that it is not a hard road. And I have to follow that road until I got what I want. I have to deal with a lot of, you know, silly stereotypes that the women can do this kind of work, you know, surgery, facial surgery. But now I can, I can feel so happy about this and I can have a very good, you know, uh, work with my husband sharing what we really like to do, you know, facial surgery. Yeah, but that's great. So my wife is actually my assistant for my rhinoplasties. We were at med school together, but then I went further and specialized and she didn't. But it's quite nice. So you can have a bit of husband and wife time in the operating room at the same time. 
So, yeah. Mariana. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy. But at the end of the road, we can make it. We can make it. And you know what? That's why at the end of all this way, we decide to, to have a center. So we have a facial plastic surgery center now uh, here in our city. And we share our patients. You know, he has his own patients. I have my own patients. But everybody knows that we are a team, a surgery team. So that's great. I think this is incredible. Okay, so what would your message be for particularly girls who are considering a career in medicine? The pitfall for career of medicine? What would your message be to girls who are considering wanting to be, make a career out of medicine and become doctors? To become a doctor, what, what do they have to have? No, what would you say to a girl if a girl, a girl comes up to you and she says to you, Dr. Mariana, I'm thinking of wanting to become a doctor. What would your response be to them? Ah, okay. To encourage them to, to follow medicine. I think, you know, in every field of your life, if you want to be the best doctor, do it. If you want to be the best architect, do it. But try to, to, to do your best. You, to be the best version of yourself in this field. Because if you just say, okay, I'm going to study medicine because I want to have a very high social life and have a little bit of money doing this career, the success is not going to be enough if this is only economical, you know. But if you say, no, I am very passionate about this work, do it. Because this is hard. I know medicine is hard, has been hard all the life. And you have to keep learning every day of your life. But if you are very passionate about that, do it. Why not? Everyone can do it. No, no. So your kids are doing medicine. Your hubby is your specialist. Five brothers are doctors. What do you do when you're not doing medicine? <laughs> it's hard to tell you what I do when I am not talking about medicine, but... You know what, Cam? I really enjoy my house. I really enjoy my life at home. I like to, to do a lot of exercising. I have my own gym at home. I do a lot of running. I like to watch a lot of movies with my kids. And also I like to play my piano because I was learning piano since I was five years old. So I really enjoy that. Okay, so what kind of I running do you do? Do you do trail running? Are you running on the, what distance do you run? Um, until now, uh, 16 kilometers. Yeah, those are, you know, the races that I had been running. And I have a lot of, a lot of certifications of that. So I can't lie to you. <laughs> well, that's and correct. Also, well, we're going to have to run together one day. <laughs> yeah. But the climate yeah, in Ecuador okay. must be, it must be pretty hot during the day. I mean... Not really. You know, I live in the Sierra. So in the Sierra, you know, the temperature, the highest is 24. And normally it's 18 degrees, 17 degrees. Now, especially now, we are having temperatures like 8, 10 degrees in the morning. So it's a little cold, the Sierra. Yeah. It's different to the coast. The coast, you can deal with the weather of maybe 30 degrees. Yeah, this is high. I mean, Celsius, Celsius grades. Sure. 
Oh, well. Okay, so let's let's move on now into getting into a little bit more of one of the topics you want to teach us about. I know you were one of the people who spoke at the World Rhinoplasty Day last year. I was blown away by that. You And, and the team from Ecuador was great. But um, tell us about what you want to share with tonight. And then at the same time, you can open your screen. And I'd remind you that for the people who are not watching it on YouTube but are listening on the podcast, you will have to explain really nicely as you go through your slides what you're talking about. Yep, very well. Let me share. So does your husband also run with you? <laughs> no, now it's, yeah, this is a work that we made together with my husband. You know, this is the use of connective tissue in rhinoplasty. So um, are you watching now this? Yes, thank you. That looks great. Okay, very good. So um, here I am, Mariana Vasquez. Victor Salcedo is my husband. We have the Center Excellence here in Cuenca, Ecuador. So um, I wanted to show you something about this connective tissue that we are using since maybe like mm, 2000 and 2015, maybe. Yeah, we start using that uh, kind of tissue. We discovered this tissue because we were doing a lot of secondary rhinoplasty, patients who came to our offices looking for a better uh, nose, and we had to deal with what kind of reconstruction we could offer to these patients, especially with a lot of irregularities in their dorsums. So uh, always we go first to the ears to get the coral lashes that we are we're going to use for the reconstruction of their noses. So when we were dealing with that, trying to obtain in the retroauricular coral lash, we found that uh, connected tissue. And the first time we used that connected tissue, we used just for covering um, a graft that we were using for reconstru uh, reconstruction of the nasal tip. So this is the connected tissue that soften contours especially using thin skin uh, for creating a dorsum uniformity and also it makes easier uh, the integration of the grafts. So what is the connective tissue? It's a soft tissue with rich in collagen fibers, elastic fibers, and makes the integration of this tissue so easy inside the nose. Where do we obtain this lax connective tissue from the retroauricular region, as you say, here? So uh, uh, we use this to cover irregularities of the nasal dorsum, as you can see here in this dorsum of the patient in the photo. Uh, this is a very good for covering, especially when we are placing uh, the graft uh, cartilages using in the nasal tip. Uh, we have to soften the contours of the nose, of the nasal tip. We don't want they uh, really uh, be visible through the skin. So we use this tissue for covering all the grafts. As you see, we are using this connective tissue for creating a soft implant with dyes cartilage for making a very good augmentation of the nasal dorsum and people who have uh, short noses. And this tissue normally uh, we obtain from the, re the retroauricular region, and we fill this with dyes cartilage uh, 
from the retroauricular region cartilage, nasal septum, or costal cartilage. As you can see, this is the implant that we use normally for augmentation of the dorsum. You, I, I can't tell you that this is, wow, just the only tool that we can have for making an augmentation of the nasal dorsum. But this is another uh, chance that you can have it if you say, okay, I don't have fascia. I don't wanna, you know, take a temporal fascia because this is really thin and this patient has a really thin skin. In these cases, you can have this connected tissue. So you can see the photo. This is the retroauricular region. You can find here the retroauricular cartilage and also obtaining this connected tissue from the retroauricular region. So you don't need to make two incisions for getting this tissue. So Mariana, question there. You, are you taking it more retroauricular rather than onto the mastoid? Yeah, yeah, more retroauricular because we start, you know, making the incision in the middle part of the concha. So after that, we start doing our work because if you go really more to the temporal bone, you're going to find the muscles. It's going to be so uh, bleeding and uh, you don't like to, to find a lot of blood in, in your field. So you just start where you get the retroauricular cartilage. You can see in the photo the dice cartilage. Uh, we are using, in this case, retroauricular cartilage. We dice that cartilage so, so little. And then we feel that making the implant from the retroauricular region, the, the, the connected tissue, no? With dice cartilage. Then we do the insertion of such implant in nasal dorsum with superior and inferior external fixation because you need to be so, so secure that you're going to place this implant in a way that doesn't create any deviation of the dorsum. And uh, what I told you before, you know, we published 15 patients doing this technique for dorsal nasal augmentation. And we took the measures of this implant before, you know, the short nose and after the surgery with the implant. And we could, you know, accomplish that the millimeters that we need to create for this new dorsum were all the time uh, conserved uh, during the time. So this is really cool, not only because of the photos, not only because it's a subjective uh, thinking of the patient, it's because we made the measures of the dorsum. So the high of the dorsum, you know, to the radix, to the middle portion, and to the nasal tip. So it maintains, it keeps the same height during the years. That was made, this study, um, in 17 to, 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 yeah, 2017, yeah. And this is the video. Uh, sorry, I like to put a lot of music when I uh, got a, a surgery. I hope, I it's the, it's, I hope that's your own piano music in the background. Well, eh? uh, this is the incision, and I am just, you know, taking out the retroauricular cartilage, and then I am creating with the connected tissue that implant, 
and I am dicing the cartilages. This is a retroregular cartilage. Um, normally, I don't, I don't, I don't like to crush. I, I like to put in the same way that you see inside using an insulin uh, syringe, and then I fill the implant with that dyed cartilage inside the inside the implant, and then I try to close. You know, I saw all that with bicryl or O, and I close the implant properly in a very good way so the dyed cartilage is not getting out. So now I'm using in this patient because this was a patient who had four surgeries before, so I didn't have any septal cartilage for making the reconstruction of the nasal tip. I was using a septal extension graft uh, from, from retroregular cartilage. And then I am placing now the implant of this connective tissue in that nose. As you see, two points of fixation, superior and inferior. And, and that's it. I think uh, this is a very, very good choice for reconstruction of nasal dorsum. This is very, very good. How I, much I like especially the, in, the results. In the Ecuadorian population and your, the rhinoplasties you do, how much dorsal augmentation do you do? Is it quite common to build up the dorsum or not really? Well, I, I can tell you something now, especially now, I don't find really um, a lot of surgeries for making dorsal nasal augmentation, but I have a lot of, a lot of surgery, surgeries, secondary surgeries, where I find a lot of irregularities in the dorsum. Those uh, horrible, horrible irregularities with thin skin and a lot of fibrosis that makes me very good cases for doing this technique not for augmentation, for covering with the, with the tissue, with connective tissue in the dorsum. So it makes very, very good. So as you can see, the result is not, you know, noticeable because you can see there is a high and hard collapse of the nasal tip of this patient. He couldn't breathe. He couldn't, you know, use the nose for breathing. And the first time that he visited to my office, he told me, Hey doctor, I had you know four surgeries in my nose. I don't know what can you offer me. So I said to him, Did somebody tell you about this? And he told me, No, not until now. I said, Okay, let's do it. Let's use this connective tissue in your nose and make the reconstruction of that nasal tip and the alar cartilages with the ear cartilage. You can see. Wow. Great results. Eh? This, this, I, I think this is the view where you can observe with the detail all the things that we made with that tissue. It's, 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 it's really cool. You see, this is the, the lateral view. You can see the height of the dorsum. You can see the better projection and rotation of that nasal tip. Um, also, the reconstruction of the LR cartilage in this patient, that was, that was cool. That was really good. I felt comfortable with that result, especially after, you know, three surgeries behind you. So this is another view of this patient. And especially, you know, after this surgery, the, the, the patient was able to breathe, to breathe, which is very important in a patient. And look, 
This is what I say. This is a very hard collapse of the nose. And this is another patient. This is a short nose. She had two surgeries before coming to my office, and she was looking for the same. I really hate my nose. I really hate my face. I don't like this result. Everyone tells me that I have a peak nose, like a peak with the nostrils, you know, facing to your face, doctor. I am very disappointed of my results. I, I am having even depression, she told me that. And I was using also this. I made also the implant with this uh, tissue, connected tissue. As you can see, you, you, you can see in the result that she has three surgeries, counting with my surgery, three surgeries in that nose. You can't realize because it, it, it looks like a normal surgery that it was the first time that she had the, the surgery. Look at this. So I think it's a good tool. I like to recommend this for my so, patients. So Marianne, do you use the connective tissue in primaries ever? Or is it only in these secondary yeah. yeah, even in primary surgeries, yeah. I start only with secondary surgeries, and then I realize why not in primary surgeries, where, uh, especially when I find thin skin. Have you seen those really thin skin that lets you visualize all the bones and cartilage through the skin? Have you seen those? I, I have a lot of that here in Cuenca. So I, I just offer this tool because... I know that no one likes to see through the skin all what is behind the skin. They like to see a beautiful nose, but they don't want people to know that they went under surgery. I don't know if that happens in South Africa, but here, oh my God, here all the patients are demanding for those kind of you know, surgeries. And natural so I want to ask you a question about the connective tissue that you get retroauricularly. Norm, so if you're not going to be putting it, putting dice cartilage in, you're just going to be laying it over the dorsum. How much of the nose do you lay over? And then more or less, how big is it? Would it be come from the radix right to the, like the um, super tip break point? How, how big a piece would you normally put on if, if someone that does have very thin skin? Okay, if a patient has a normally really thin skin, I normally do. For covering the graft, if I'm going to use a graft in the nasal teeth, I just cover the part of the, the graft that is going to show through the skin. For example, if you use a shin in the nasal teeth, you just cover, you know, the upper part of the shin. If you are using in a peck, so you just cover the, the upper part of the peck. So you can't abuse of this connective tissue. Because if you believe that you are going to cover the whole nose with the connective tissue, what you are going to find as a result is a really thick nose without the break point of the supra tip, which is really bad. Look at this. I, I, I think it, those are results that I like to see in my patients, natural results. You see? Yeah, no, it looks beautiful. That's what I wanted to share with you. Sure. Well, thank you. That's, that's a very interesting tool to add to the armamentarium. How, so the, the last question on the graft is how thick is the graft? Obviously, it has, it, you must also bear in mind if the patient has thick skin or not. So it's gen, as a general rule of thumb, it's with a thin-skinned patients that you use it more than with a thick-skinned patients. 
in a way that I shape the connective tissue? Yes, please. What? Yes, that would be great. Well, you know, you you obtain that tissue from the retroauricular region. You just place in the, uh, I don't know, in those rough little things that you have for, you know, making. Uh, you, you have to get rid of any fat that contains that tissue because the fat makes you thicker the nose. But if you just take that connective tissue, you don't smash, you don't crush, you don't, you know, try to make thinner. You just use the blade, the 15 blade, and you just get rid of any little fat around that tissue. That's it, no more. And you just place, if you want to place in one little thing of the nose, because you notice that maybe, maybe the door, the, um, maybe the part of the cartilage is showing a little bit through the skin, you use just in that part. In, in what way you can place that? Using needles, using needles, you know, in, um, in a way that you saw as uh, use uh, placing the implant inside the nose. Well, that's it's, awesome. It's, it's so easy. It's I've, so far. I've got a, I've got a, a secondary revision, or tertiary revision tomorrow. So I'm definitely going to be using this in my case tomorrow. <laughs> very good. Very good. <laughs> let me know. Let me know the results. No, I will. I will. So um, tell me now, we've, we've chatted quite a lot. It's been very interesting for me. I think it's a, it's a very clever tool to use. How do you now, I mean, you, you kind of, where you're at now, being in this game for 30 years, you say, been doing medicine, where do you see the future of rhinoplasty going over the next decade or two? Well, I, I think, you know, it's a matter of time because uh, the future of rhinoplasty, I, I will see a lot of women involved in this field of rhinoplasty in the future because they are, you know, uh, trying to break the stereotype of that certain specialties are meant only for men. So I can see that now. I can see a lot of, a lot of women who are doing very well done rhinoplasty work. And I can see also in the future, because this, uh, this field of rhinoplasty demands a lot of detail, detail in the surgery. So I can see that now, Nowadays, I can see some tools that you can use for making those little details of the dorsum, especially of the dorsum, very well corrected using certain tools like, for example, those uh, ultrasonic rhinoplasty, to, you know, tools that make you the ability of correcting little details. Because perfectionism, it's really now so high in the people, you know. I don't, I don't know if you can see the same, but I can see my patients, or maybe it's because I am trying to offer that, that my patients demand perfection, perfection in their noses. They are looking at the mirror like 40 times a day after the surgery. So before the surgery, I try to make them realize the little, little details that they have in the nose. So in that way, I am not going to have a lot of surprises, you know, uh, in the post-hope. I, 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 am, I am doing that. And I see this is the future of the rhinoplastic, the perfection in the, in the result. They, they are very demanding patients now. Yeah, I think it's just in the generation we're in and, and selfies and how much more social media, et cetera, there's involved. So when it comes to a patient coming to see you for rhinoplasty and you show them these very small little differences, do you take photographs and do you morph with photographs and talk to the patients about what their result could be like? 
You know that the, the pre-op, I, I really like that interview with the patient. I normally take like one hour and more of, you know, time because I really need to know what is inside the mind of the patient. Sometimes what is good for you is not good for me. What is beauty for you is not beauty for me. So I try to, to, to clear what is inside that mind. So normally I take the photographs of the patient, then I say to the patient, okay, with these photographs, let me show you in the Photoshop, you know, what am I planning to your face? And normally I tell to the patient, I don't see only your nose. I, I see the whole face. And if I can see that it's not a good balance with the new nose that I can create to you, let me tell you what else I can advise to your face. So in that moment, I just say to the patient, I'm going to do this work. And if you like it, okay, tell me now. But if you don't like it also, tell me what would you like to change about the face. So in that moment, I do the work, I show to the patient, and the patient says, Oh my God, I never, I never believed that I could have that look. Oh my God, I love it. And there are some patients that in the first, they say, mm, but I could lie that maybe you could uh, advise me something else in the dorsum because I'm not really convinced about that dorsum. And I say, okay, what could you like in the dorsum? Do you like, you know, higher? Do you like uh, maybe low? And they said, I don't know, you just, you know, advise me. And I said, okay, I'm going to create another profile for you. But if I see that after the second profile that I offer to the patient, the patient is still like no trusting the plan of your surgeon. I said to the patient, okay, I think mm, this is the thing that I can offer to you. I don't know what the expectations of the of the surgery you can have inside your mind. I, I, I prefer really to let you go. This is the way that I can, you know, avoid having problems with my patients in the future. And normally the 90% of the patients, they said, okay, this is cool. I like it. I like it, doctor. But there are, you know, certain patients that they don't, they don't even know what they want. And if they don't know what they want, mm -mm, nothing is going to convince them that that is going to fit you, you know? So I, I remember the way that I proceed. somebody once told me, you never regret the operations you didn't do. Yeah. Yeah. And normally, you know, sometimes because it's a challenge for you, not, not, not letting that patient, you know, goes out, you know, feeling that you are not good enough for that patient. You just say, okay, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to show this patient more and more and more and more about me until you just said, okay, the patient said, okay, I like it. But after the surgery, she just regret, regret it. She just said, oh my God, why, why? I received signals and I didn't do anything. So that's why. Sure. Okay. So the last question I wanted to ask you was tell me a little bit more about your guys' society. Um, what's the history? When did it start? What does it do? Yeah, you're the president at the moment. Do you have meetings now? How's COVID affected us? I'm interested to know about the society a little bit more. Okay, let me tell you that um, I, I am in this society um, like maybe 10 years ago 
And I was part of the society, but in a way that they chose me for, you know, being a speaker in reunions, in meetings, in congresses. But uh, I wasn't a part, an active part of the society. So until the last year, they called me, I received a call from someone who was a president of the society. And he told me, would you like to be the president? And I said, oh my God, but what I have to do in this society? Because I don't know so much about this society. And he said to me, no, 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 you're going to learn so fast. This is easy. You just have to gather people. And I said, but in what way? Now we are, you know, <laughs> inside the house. I can't have any, any meeting. And I said, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that. You know, with the time, with the, with the time you're going to learn. And I said, okay, another challenge for myself. Okay. I said, okay, let's go. And after that, when I start, you know, doing or having this responsibility, I said to myself, what are you, what are, what are you going to do in this year? This year, everything is closed. You can't, you can't organize any Congress because for me, the Congress is like the gathering of all the knowledge of all the professors and teachers around the world. So I said, what am I going to do? Everybody is organizing these webinars. So, I don't know, people, people are getting tired of these webinars. And I said to myself, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to do my way, I, uh, the way I can do it. Then I received a mail from the International Federation of uh, Facial Plastic Surgeon Societies. And it was incredible. That was a really wonderful surprise to find people very humble, very intelligent, very skillful, and trying to provide me a lot of tools for making our societies better. You know, uh, sharing knowledge, you know, being part of the international knowledge. And I said, okay, I'm going to take it. And I'm going to have a reunion with my people telling them that there are benefits that maybe we didn't know. And now we are sharing those benefits and we are being part of these benefits of sharing knowledge and webinars and, and, and more, more things that they are planning for the next years. So I'm, I'm, I'm really cool with this. I don't know, maybe you can tell me more because you have been organizing a lot of original things around the world. <laughs> yeah, oh no, it's been fun. Eh? We've, COVID's been uh, changed the game for us completely. Eh? Um, but, you know, Mariana, what strikes me the most is just your enthusiasm. Eh? Um, we've chatted now for like nearly 40 minutes and it's just great to see somebody who's out there. You want to make it happen. You, you're not involved with all the extra politics, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's such an inspiration, not just to the ladies out there, but to the guys as well. Eh? So I really want to wish you the very best. I hope things just go from strength to strength for you in the practice and in the society. And as, as, you, as you mentor more ladies to, to be part of this wonderful rhinoplasty world that we find ourselves in. Yeah, I, I, I think that you are one of those guys who are doing a very good part in, in doing and organize these kind of original things that this, you know, making the place for women who are leading rhinoplasty in the world. Thank you very much 
Thank you very much for doing this work. Um, Ah, very good. That's very great. Good. Thank you. So to those listeners who've gotten all the way to the end now, now finally I'm giving you the details for being able to get these very cool Pentax loops. So what you need to do is go to their website, which is www.pentaxloops.com. That is P-E-N-T-A-X-L-O-U-P-E-S.com. Send them an email and tell them that uh, you listened to Mariana on this rhinoplasty podcast and that they must give you a good deal on some very cool uh, loops so yeah that's come brings us to the end um mariana thank you very much eh? it's it's such a pleasure to have had you on the show and enjoy the rest of your day thank you very much cam see you soon bye